0: this not morning this evening open up jeremiah oh, man jeremiah chapter three you know i often just i don't even know i get stoked when i see god uh, orchestrate things we were talking about repentance this morning at church and and the uh, spirit was moving in a really awesome way and and uh I had made some notes on Jeremiah, but uh, I saved this afternoon to really pour myself into it. And lo and behold, the message of Jeremiah is repentance. Isn't that amazing? That, that God would would orchestrate that. I mean, I didn't even know I was going to be in Jeremiah. I mean, I, I lit out the list of where we're going when on each of the three studies, but... I have no idea where, where I'm coming to before I get there. And here we are coming to a message that just fits with, with what we were talking about this morning in, in regard to repentance. Jeremiah chapter 3 begins. They say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? Would not the land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers." Yet return to me, says the Lord. We're going to hear that phrase a few times. God's speaking to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom will be compared to them as we take a look at Jeremiah chapter 3. And basically, whenever the people went off worshiping, serving other gods, then God uh, uh, ascribed to that the same as uh, adultery. They were, they were participating in spiritual adultery. They were cheating on God as their husband God, the husband of Israel, they're, they're, they're off sleeping with all kind of other people. Now, the scripture tells in Deuteronomy that if you're divorced and you were remarried, you couldn't come back. There's no coming back from that. And so here the Lord is saying, yeah, listen, guys, he has a, is a, doesn't the scripture say that, that if you're divorced, you shouldn't come back? But here's what I love, because the Lord responds to them, yet... He says, return to me. Return to me, says the Lord. God wants the nation to turn toward him. God wants him to repent. But uh, up to this point, he wasn't experiencing their wholehearted repentance as we see as we go on. He says in verse 2, lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see. Where have you not lain with men? By the roads you have sat for them like an Arabian in the wilderness, and you have polluted the land with your heart of trees and your wickedness. See, the point that he's making is they were not only just occasionally falling or stumbling into idolatry, they were seeking it with their whole heart. God brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey. But that land flowing with milk and honey had had one issue that really sticks out like a sore thumb. They don't have water. So the Lord said, you come with me, follow me, and I'll give you the early rains and the latter rains. I'll take care of you. But if you notice, the rain stops. You know that you're off track. You're away from me. Repent, turn to me, and I'll give you the rain again. But when they came into the land of Canaan, there were two other gods the god Baal and the god Ashtoreth. The god Baal literally is the god of storms. So when there's not rain, the people around the nation of Israel would have these uh, orgies, sex parties, up on top of the hill. And as they were having sex with the temple priests or priestesses, they would be calling on the name of Baal to bring the rain so that there would be fruitfulness. And the nation of Israel looked at it and said... Well, you know, that's something we've never done in church before. And they were enticed. And they went after it with their whole heart. Because, you know, going to a God you can't see, <coughs> that's a little more difficult. But I can go to this this mountaintop where they have all these groves carved out, and, and this big temple of Baal in the center, uh, a big statue of him, and And, you know, it's pleasurable and all these good things. And so they would go to that. And the Lord says, man, you are taken. Hook, line, and sinker, man. You are going for Baal and Ashtoreth. And so the rain is withheld. And they would go after Baal stronger. But their prayers were not answered. And yet they would go after Baal still more. And the Lord's call to them, just like Hosea's call to his wife. Everybody know Hosea? Hosea had a special call of God Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. And she'll never be faithful to you all her days. And Hosea married her and became a living example of God's desire for Israel and Israel's desire to run away from God, and serve other gods. And that's what's going on here. The, the nation of Israel is wholeheartedly seeking after other gods. <clears throat> so in verse 3, what's it say? Therefore, the showers have been withheld. Deuteronomy 11, 16 through 17 is what talks about the rains being withheld when they get off track. And there has been no latter rain. You have had a harlot's forehead, and you refuse to be ashamed. The idea is there was this brazenness. We talked today as we were looking at uh, uh, Ephesians, finishing up Ephesians chapter 4. And what we see is, is this, this painting, if you will, of the old life, the dead life, the life apart from Christ. And in that we see that it was aimless and it was dark and our hearts were hardened and we went after it with recklessness. And that's what he's talking about here. You have the harlot's forehead. You're not ashamed. You don't care what you're doing is wrong. You're just going for it. You're just flung to it with reckless abandon. You are are going all out away from what God desires of you. So he says in verse 4, Will you not from this time cry to me? And this is the cry that they would cry. My father... You are the guide of my youth. Will he remain angry forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, you have spoken and done evil things as you are able. Say, call out, oh God, where are you? You're going to be mad forever, but they're not changing. No repentance. Continuation in the same deeds, the same evil deeds that they were always a part of. So the Lord's going to give him an example. says, I want you guys to consider something. In verse 6, the Lord also said to me, in the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? So here's the example, guys. The nation of Israel after King Solomon split in two. Remember King Solomon said, how do I know if the, the king who comes after me will be wise or foolish? Well, he was foolish. The kingdom split. Ten kingdoms, ten tribes that really had a desire not to serve the Lord anymore went to the north and became known as Israel. Two tribes who wanted to follow the Lord went south and became Judah. Judah, down in south, had Jerusalem. The ten tribes up north didn't want the children of Israel to go down to Jerusalem and worship at Jerusalem. So what they did... They said, Hey, we don't don't want you to go down there. We we what what we're gonna do is we're gonna set up our own temple here. And they brought a golden calf into the tribe of Dan and said, Here's where your God is. This is where you're gonna worship. And so they would, the ten tribes, not following the Lord, not seeking after the Lord, would worship the golden calf in Dan. So the Lord says, Listen, Judah, look at Israel. Because at the time of Jeremiah, Israel's already fallen. 722 B.C., Israel is conquered by the Assyrians. The ten tribes to the north are wiped out by the Assyrians and they become what you and I would know later as the Samaritans. They mix with all the heathen nations. And what's the, what's the thing about the Samaritans? You remember when Jesus came in John chapter 4 through Samaria... And he met the woman at the well. She had a question for him. You remember? She said, we say you should worship God on this mountain. I think it's Mount Gerizim. And you say we should worship God on that mountain, Jerusalem. Who should worship? How? What mountain should we worship on? You see, still in, in, in the Samaritans had this idea that the ten other tribes had. Of making their own form of worship. They had distorted the worship that God had founded that was to be done at the temple in Jerusalem, and they were doing it on Mount Gerizim. Still today, a lot of the things that that have been discovered about how the priests used to do things were taken from the practices on Mount Gerizim that the Samaritans were a part of. So when we look at it, that's what occurs to those tribes. That's where the concept comes from, where certain groups will say, there are ten lost tribes of Israel. They're not lost. Never were. The Bible tells us that the ten tribes, leaders of those ten tribes went north. But the people who wanted to follow God went south. Didn't matter what tribe they were from. And the people that were south that didn't want to follow God went north. So in each kingdom you have representatives of all twelve tribes. Those who wanted to serve the Lord, now... They didn't always do it real well, and they didn't always have good leadership. In the south, in the north, they never had good leadership, and they never wanted to follow the Lord. So they faced the judgment of God first. So here's what God's pointing to. He says, hey, guys, look at what happened to them. Look at this example. He says here in verse 6, She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. So there's that call of God again. Return, repent, come to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Now Judah is who Jeremiah is writing to. Israel's already been conquered and taken. Here's what God's saying. You saw what happened to your sister, Israel. And you're doing the same thing. You're worse. Israel didn't have an example to look at and see the judgment of God. You did. You saw the judgment that came upon them. Yet here you are doing the same things. Following in the same path. So he says, listen, you're in worse shape, Judah. The treacherous sister Judah saw it. Verse 8. And I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. 722 BC, Israel was carried away into captivity and the northern tribe never comes back again. What's left behind is what becomes the Samaritans. The Lord says, I have given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. He said, you, my own siblings are testimony to this. My firstborn JC got the living snot beat out of him all the time. He would do something wrong and get caught and get a whooping for it. And his younger brother, Cole, watched. Now, I'm not saying Cole's better. He's sneakier. He learned the things that J.C. did and how he got caught and said, I'm not going to be that stupid. So he has been sneakier, but at least he learned something from the, the, the judgment that came upon his brother. Here, Israel's judged. Judah didn't learn. Exact same sin, exact same sin, exact same stroke, exact same worship of the false deities, exact same attitude. What does it tell us? It tells us that the heart of mankind is deceitfully wicked and prone to wander. <laughs> Verse 9, so it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Isn't that kind of weird? But ultimately, that's what they do. The the psalmist would say, you go into the forest, and you cut down a tree. And you split the wood. Some of that wood, you bring into your house, and you throw it in your fire, and you bake bread. But with a piece of that tree that you cut down, that you carve into a god, and you send it on a mantle, and you say, you are my god. And the Lord says, how stupid is that? You just cut the wood down. You know that's not a God. But you see, people have this desire to worship something they can see and touch and feel. But there's no power there. There's no power there. There's only power in the invisible God, Jehovah. So it came to pass through her casual heart she defiled the lamb and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Now, that is scary. That means that Judah turned in repentance, but not with a whole heart. Just went through the show. It was just a show, you know, hey, uh, I repent, Lord, forgive me, you know, for my sins. and, And off she went she didn't turn with her whole heart she didn't change repentance means change of direction in ephesians chapter 4 the two things that we've been talking about is walking in unity and walking in purity and if i am going to repent from my old life and walk in the new life then my new life has to be different doesn't mean i don't struggle doesn't mean i don't stumble doesn't mean i don't fall but i have to make a choice i'm not doing that anymore I'm not going there anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to be that person anymore. Now, how do I do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. But I have to submit. I have to submit to what God's trying to do. <clears throat> I can kick against the goads, didn't Paul? Kicking against the goads makes one tired and feet sore. But that doesn't stop us from doing it people still have that that uh, can still have that attitude and so the lord is a, has a desire that they would turn to him in honesty and in repentance but instead they turn to him in pretense then the lord said to me backsliding israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous judah so go proclaim these words toward the north and say so the northern kingdom's gone God says to Jeremiah, go proclaim these to the north. So he's going to stand in Judah and face the north toward her sister Israel as an example to, to Judah. And he's going to say, return backsliding Israel, says the Lord. And I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. This is God's call for repentance. This is what he's looking for. Only acknowledge your iniquity. I am wrong. You are right. That you have transgressed against the Lord. What is it that the psalmist said in Psalm 51? That against you, O Lord, and you only have I sinned. That he had sinned against the Lord, transgressed against him. And he wants him to be specific. Talk about what you've done. How that's occurred. What has happened. And then in verse 14, again the Lord calls out, return Oh, backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. And I will take you, one from a city, two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. Now, some people here see the election of God. In this election of God, they say, well, it doesn't really matter what you do. God's going to take one from a city or, or two from the, the country. He's going to take who he takes. He'll elect them. Scripture very clearly designates for you and I that the saved are elect. But that's all it ever designates. Doesn't designate anything else. The idea is if God calls to repentance, man cannot refuse. Just one small problem with that. You remember what we read back here in verse 7? And I said to Israel, return to me. But she did not return. She chose to continue in her rebellion against the Lord. I think what God's talking about in verse 14 is the remnant. There's going to be a group. There will be a group. There's always a remnant among God's people who are willing to turn, who are willing to repent, who are willing to to call upon the name of the Lord and draw near unto Him. And the Lord says, and I'll take you. I'll take you, one from the city. I'll take two from this family, and I'll bring you to Zion. Zion is always a picture of God's city or Jerusalem. So we see the call to repentance. We see the remnant answering the call, repenting, and seeking the Lord. And then in verse 15, we see what God does for him. Listen to this. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That word for shepherd also means something else. You know what it is? Pastor. We look at Ephesians chapter 4, and Ephesians chapter 4 says... That the Lord gave gift, He gave a gift. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, teachers. The same thing that we see Jesus giving to the church, we hear God saying here, he's going to give to the nation. He's going to give them shepherds. What's the shepherd's job? Watch over the flock. What else? Feed the flock. Make sure that they have food to eat. What do we eat? The word of God. The word of God, guys, listen, the word of God, this is important, is oxygen for the fire of revival. There's going to be revival. It's going to be brought in, through, and around the word of God. So we see here, he says, this is what I'll give you in your repentance. I'll give you faithful preaching and teaching of God's word. And what's a shepherd's job? To lead them back home. There's an old picture. I don't know who painted it. It's an old painting. and And it has a bunch of sheep following a shepherd down a trail. And you notice that the shepherd is leading the sheep back home. And that's what God would call the shepherds to do. And the other thing he said about the shepherd is, I'll give you a shepherd how? After God's own heart. Does that remind you of Anybody? What was David doing when he was called of God? Tanning sheep. sheep. What was Moses doing when he was called of God? Isn't that interesting? I will give you a, a leader, a shepherd, from the, the, after my own heart, someone who is 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 keyed into the Lord. Now at this time in Jeremiah, they have a shepherd king. His name's Josiah. Twelve years old, Josiah takes over. 12 years old. Can you imagine that, Reva? 12 years old, you're in charge of everything. That sounds pretty good, huh? 12 years old, he's in charge of it all. And he says, he begins, they discover the word of God that they had lost. And he realizes all those high places where people go and worship these other gods, tear them all down. And they tear them all down. There's a revival that moves through the land. At this time, when Jeremiah's writing, it's on the cusps of revival. Revival is, is happening. They've got a good shepherd who's, who's leading them and guiding them and, and bringing back the word of God and tearing down the high places. So God says, when you repent and you turn toward me with your whole heart, I, that's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a shepherd, someone who will lead you, someone who will bring you home. And then Jeremiah turns prophetic. Listen to this. And it will come to pass when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made anymore. A lot of people today want to know where the Ark of the Covenant is. And many point to Jeremiah and say, it's gone. And it's not ever coming back. That it served its purpose, it fulfilled its role. And looking toward the kingdom, we won't need the Ark of the Covenant. We'll have Jesus Christ, who is the mercy seat, the embodiment of the mercy seat jesus christ the king and that's what i think he's talking about here listen to verse 17 at that time jerusalem will be called the throne of the lord and all the nations will be gathered to it the name of the lord to the name of the lord to jerusalem no no more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts Hey, we're looking ahead at the kingdom. And he's saying, listen, there's a day coming when the Ark of the Covenant is going to be gone. And nobody's going to look for it anymore because there's a throne of the Lord in Jerusalem. throne of the Lord is not in Jerusalem today. Jesus Christ isn't ruling and reigning. But the scripture indicates that he will. He will set his feet on the earth. Job said, I know my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth. He said, in my flesh I will see God. The understanding that there would be a time when Almighty God would walk upon the earth. In verse 18 he says, in those days the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel. They shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers. So looking ahead, he sees this is all going to work out and God's promises are all going to be fulfilled. But, I said, how can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the hosts of nations? A lot of times you hear people say they're disappointed with God. In fact, they write books, how to deal with disappointment of God. In Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, God writes his own book, His Disappointment of Man. How can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage, and a host of the hosts of nations? And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from me. See, this is God speaking. He's saying, listen, I thought that That we would have this kind of a relationship where I'm your father and you would walk with me and I would walk with you. But surely, as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. So, God, in what in theological circles is called an anthropomorphism, which is a big, long word that means. We ascribe to God human feelings to try to explain how God feels. Not necessarily that God is human or subject to our feelings, but it's how we relate to Him. And here the Lord says He's a spurned husband and a disappointed father for the nation of Israel. But you know what I love? How many times yet He still will say, Return to me. Return to me. How many times has he said it to you? Yeah, me too. Return to me. Return to me. Even though all these things are true, the Lord still calls. Return to me. And then he, he in verse twenty-one he says, Now here, this is the cry now of the people, as sin. Remember we talked about that today, as you walk down that dark path of the old man. The, the dead in trespasses and sin, this is what life is like. A voice was heard on the desolate heights, weeping supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way and they have forgotten their God. God says there's a cry coming from the desolate heights. Now the desolate heights are on top of the mountains where the children of Israel will go to worship these false gods. And he says, I, I hear their cry on the top because they're chasing after... Shadows and dust, things that have no substance and no feel. They will never feel their heart. And so no matter how hard they chase after it, they're still empty. And there they are on top of those mountains, chasing those other gods, crying out in an attitude of sorrow, weeping and supplications, Not necessarily because of their sin, but because of what their sin is showing them. That life has no meaning. That there's aimlessness, that I'm lost, that I'm in the dark, that I'm blind, that my heart is hard. That I'm recklessly chasing after sin. And so they weep and they cry. And God says, I hear. I hear the bitter... Springtime of sin run rampant in your life. That is what it does. It just rips us off of hope. God is there to give us hope and purpose and reason. But when we reject him and follow anything else, we also reject that same purpose and reason. life becomes empty, becomes hollow. T.S. Eliot wrote a poem called The Hollow Men. The Hollow Men, one of the verses of The Hollow Men is, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. Sin just robs people of all their joy. Weeping And supplications for the perverted way. And they have forgotten their God. But what does verse 22 say? Return to me. Return you backsliding children. And what? I will heal your backslidings. Return to me. And I will make it right. Return to me and I will give you beauty for ashes. Why? What did I do to deserve beauty for ashes? Nothing. It's the grace of God. In the Old Testament, I thought in the Old Testament was that part of God that was just always mean and honoring and killing everybody. <clears throat> no, man. In the, in the Old Testament, we see the grace of God moving all over the place. Return, you backsliding children, and I'll heal your backsliding. And then the response of the children. This is the beginning of their repentance. Indeed, we do come to you. For you are the Lord our God. The first part, as they turn, is an attitude of ascribing to God his rightful position. You are the Lord our God. And then in verse 23, this is their the, the, the next couple of verses, <clears throat> all the way through verse 25. This is their prayer of repentance. It says, Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of the mountains? Uh, We wasted our time on those hills. Lord, we, we chased after these false gods and it was emptiness. Vanity of vanities. And then he says, Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Only in the Lord, not in these other things. Verse 24, they go on as they are <clears throat> repentant and confessing their sins, they go on. For shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth. What has been devoured? Their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Again, one of the darkest times, Jeremiah is going to deal with one of the darkest times in the history of Israel when they went so far as Child sacrifice, when they would lay their children in the foundation of their homes, like the pagans did, when they were offer them up to the gods of the pagans, <clears throat> in hopes to bring the rain rather than repenting for their actions and turning toward the God who promised them rain. And so here they are repentant, repentant that their flocks and herds had been devoured, as well as the sons and their daughters. We lie down in our shame and our reproach covers us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God. Here's something important. We and our fathers. You see in their repentance they repented for more than just themselves. They repented for their whole nation. I see that same attitude in Daniel's life. You know, Daniel is one of two people in the scriptures of whom no sin is recorded. So if ever there was someone who could say, yeah, I shouldn't have to repent because all these other dumb people did these things wrong, it would be Daniel. But when Daniel discovers the reason for the captivity in Babylon, which Jeremiah, by reading Jeremiah the prophet and discovers the length of time and realizes that the end of the captivity is coming, he offers up a prayer of repentance for the nation and himself in the same prayer. When we talk about an attitude of repentance leading to a revival, there's a a little mini revival that occurs in, in Judah during the time of Josiah. When we talk about that, it was all based on, hinged on repentance. Turning from the direction we were heading and turning toward the Lord Jesus Christ and following Him, going His way. So they pray even for their fathers. And then he says, from our youth, even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. So then... Chapter 4, the first four verses is God's reply to their prayer. His reply to us today, if we're seeking repentance, a change, turning away from where we were going and turning toward Him. If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, then return to me. God says, Talk is cheap. You can tell me you're going to do it. Do it. Don't just talk about it. You ever had things in your life you talked about for a long time? When I was at uh, Joshua Springs, we had a, a plan to build a gym for like 100 years. I think the whole time I was on the board, we went over plans, poured over plans, made plans, talked about, talked about, talked about, talked about. Till we were blue in the face. Until one day, finally, somebody said, You know, why don't we just do it? I'm tired of talking about it. And apparently that rang true with the rest of the board, because everybody said, Yes, amen. Do it. And we built the dumb thing. And God's been using it ever since. And we can still be in that room talking about it and nothing will happen. we got to do it. We can talk about getting a fresh start with the Lord. We can talk about really being a witness for God. We can talk about turning away from the, the old man and turning toward the new man, putting on the new man, putting off lying, putting on truth. All those things we talked about this morning. We talk about it till we're blue in the face. We need to do it. God says if you're going to return to me, return. But we don't return with our lips, we return with our feet. Let us not be hearers only, but what? Doers. Doers of the word also. Not just hearing, but doing. Taking steps to move toward the Lord. And then he says again, and if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you will not be moved. The Lord says, guys, there's judgment coming. The judgment coming on Judah. And he says, if you will return to me, return to me. And if you'll take all your idols and get rid of them, you will never be moved from the land. You'll never be moved. And the Lord landed out. You can repent and pray the words, God, I repent, I was wrong, all this false worship. But the Lord says, Throw down your idols. Put them in the garbage. Get rid of them all, and you will not be moved. You'll stand with me all the days of your life. You'll stand in this land. Only set aside your gods. Put them away. Put away those things that you worship. In verse 2, he says, And you will swear the Lord lives in truth and judgment And in righteousness. We set aside that we turn and do what we say. We we remove our idols, our false gods from our life. And you will swear the Lord lives in truth and judgment and righteousness. The nation shall bless themselves in him and in him they shall glory. The New Testament says it another way. In Christ Jesus is everything you need. So be in him. That's what God's saying here. Be found in me, not in those other things. Be found in me, in the truth, in righteousness, in judgment. Be in me. You ever find yourself in a place where you feel like, I just, I don't feel the presence of God? Well, God didn't move. He's still right where you were when you were with Him, and He's still available. What happens is we move. We chase after some other thing. Get our focus on some other thing. But God is there. If there are a thousand steps between us and the Lord, he'll take all but one. All we need to do is turn. Repent. And there he is. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah. Okay, here's what we need to do. Break up your fallow ground. He's talking about the ground of your heart. He's talking about a heart that is hard and not ready, prepared to receive the seed. So he says, break it up. Put the plow to the ground of your heart. Break that fallow ground. Then what's he say? Do not sow among thorns. Weed. Get rid of the weeds. The beautiful thing about the idioms in the Bible is they retain their, their meaning all the way through the scriptures. Jesus told us what the weeds were. The weeds are the cares of this world. So he says, pull the weeds. You cannot serve God and mammon. You understand that? Your focus in life cannot be to have success here in this world and to serve the Lord. It doesn't mean that if I live to serve the Lord, I won't have success in this world. But the focus is the key. In one place, if my focus is success in this world, I'm sowing seeds from the Word of God among weeds and the weeds are going to choke out the fruitfulness of the seed on the other hand i'm sowing seeds in and not in fallow ground but in ground without thorns that's been plowed up that's going to grow and bear much fruit there'll be fruitfulness in my life because my focus is on the main thing and the main thing is jesus christ and what's he say seek ye first the kingdom of god and what All what? All these things will be added unto you. Remember what he was talking about? He says, don't worry about what you will have today or tomorrow, what you'll wear. God cares about you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. When Solomon came to the Lord and the Lord said, Solomon, you're a young guy. Solomon was eight years old. I think when he becomes king, that's even younger. How many eight-year-olds do you know with a lot of wisdom? <coughs> Not too many, huh? The Bible says the Lord came to Solomon and said, Solomon, I love you. In fact, if we look at the end of, of, of 2 Samuel. The Bible says that Bathsheba gave birth to a, another son after David comforted her for the loss of the son when they sinned. And, and she called his name... Uh, Solomon, and the prophet, Nathan, that busted David, he called him Jedediah. Well, that's kind of weird. Jedediah means beloved of the Lord. And the Bible closes out on the life of David and says, and God loved him. And so the Lord comes to him when he's eight years old and says, Solomon, I'm going to give you a blank check, whatever you want. You ever thought about how incredibly cool that would be? Almighty God says, Blank chat. Whatever. Anything you want. To an (laughs) eight-year-old. Man, Joseph would have a pile of cupcakes or something for (laughs) infinity. I mean. But he comes to Solomon. And Solomon is really, at eight years old, he's kind of freaking out. He's like... I'm going to become king, and I have no idea what I'm doing. So he says to the Lord, I just want the wisdom to lead your people. See, he he made his focus seeking after the things that, that God wanted. So what did God give him? Wisdom to lead his people and everything else. He said, I'll give you everything you didn't ask for too. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. It's either true or it's a lie. If it's true, then we're a fool not to be seeking first the kingdom of God, keeping our focus on him. Well, then what am I going to do about my rent? I don't know. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The Lord says, I know your needs. I know what you have need of. We trust Him. We throw ourselves wholeheartedly after Him. And He will meet your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Scripture don't lie. It'll happen. Trust Him. Trust Him. Seek Him. And you will find. So break up the fallow ground. Do not sow among the thorns. Then circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. I don't think he's talking about regular circumcision here. Is he? No, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, circumcision is an outward sign of an inward change. Does that remind you of anything? Oh, yeah, because baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. So God's saying, hey, your insides... Need to match the outsides. Just going through the act of circumcision did not save a single person any more than going through the act of baptism saves anybody. It's an outward sign of an inward change. I can do any. I can make any kind of sign on the outside. Can I? I can walk around all day with a cowboy hat on. Does that make me a cowboy? Now, what's everybody laughing for? (laughs) No, it don't. And one day when I was younger, I was someplace I shouldn't be, (coughs) and I had a cowboy hat on. And a guy walked up to me, and he said, wearing that hat, you know how to ride a horse? And I said, nope. And I looked at his hat. Said, San Francisco 49ers. (laughs) I said, you play for them? Nope. Well, I guess neither one of us got any business wearing these hats, and do we? (laughs) Listen, the outward sign has nothing to do if the inside isn't real. Isn't real. Wow. Were the children of Israel to be circumcised? Absolutely. Why? Because it was an outward sign of what God had done on their hearts. Should we be baptized? Absolutely. Why? It's an outward sign of what God has done in our life. Dead in Christ, raised to new life. Isn't uh, it the Lord to be baptized? Yeah, you should be baptized. But it doesn't save you. Salvation only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we see baptism, yeah, Jesus was baptized. So, I mean, if you think you're greater than him, don't be baptized. But Jesus followed in obedience to what his father He said to John, so that all things might be done according to the word, I'm here to be baptized. And he was baptized. So we should be baptized. And I don't mean to belittle the the act of baptism. I'm simply saying that outward sign is nothing if there's not an inward change. It's just an outward sign. And that's what was wrong with the children of Israel. They were circumcised like crazy, but they're worshiping all these other gods. There's 10,000s of thousands of thousands of people who have been baptized that are not following the Lord in any way whatsoever. So what did baptism do for them? Nothing. It was just a sign of a change that didn't occur. So what would God's message be to them? Just like this. So rather than circumcise, say baptize. Baptize yourselves in the Lord and take away the the foreskins of your heart. It's got to be an inward thing. Not an outward action. And so he's saying this needs to be a pure, the pure motives of the heart. Then, you men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. It closes out. Do this. Make it real in your heart. Or judgment will come. And no one will stop it. So, you and I can look at our sister Judah and learn from history. Judah went into captivity, she didn't make it. She came out of captivity, and God continued to move through her, and she turned her eyes back to the Lord. And we can experience those same things in our life. Captivity, by the way, is not all that much fun going through the things that are required so that we might turn our eyes back on the Lord. It's not, it's not all that great. Putting our eyes on the Lord is great. We can choose to learn from history. We can choose to learn and say, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make that my focus. Eyes focused on that. Or we can tell ourselves any number of 100 different things make excuses for why we are or where we are doing what we are god's call bear fruit isn't that what john the baptist said bear fruit worthy of repentance it's more than words it's about what we do follow up those words in truth how do we do it paul would say in in romans chapter 7 the things i ought to do i don't do the things i know i should do those are the things i don't do the things i shouldn't do those are the things i do who's going to save me from this body of death i'm just a big old mess and he said, I thank God. I thank God for he has redeemed this body of death. For there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So where do we need to be? In Christ Jesus. All our heart. Amen? Amen. We're going to just uh, close out this evening service with an attitude of prayer. So I invite you as we... Uh, As we share, if if the Lord leads you to to share a prayer out loud with us, feel free. Uh, If he doesn't, that's okay. Uh, You can hang out in an attitude of prayer, and you can bail when you need to bail. We're going to pray till we stop, and then we'll bail too. So if we all do it at the same time, we'll hang out, and if not, God bless you guys and go in peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We uh, come before you, Lord, we ask that you would... (coughs) Father, help us to understand this concept that there's more to our repentance than just saying a magic word. There is the attitude that John the Baptist laid out of bearing fruit worthy of repentance. There should be a changed life. The ability to change that life comes wholly and completely by you. All I need to do is be found in you. Jesus said, abide in me, and I'll abide in you. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Our fruitfulness comes from abiding in the vine. For without him, we can do nothing. So Lord, even as we come to you in an attitude of of repentance, desiring, Lord Jesus, to be wholly committed unto you, Lord. May it be more than words. May it be truth of our actions that we put one foot in front of another and walk in you in Christ Jesus that we make the choice to abide in you that our baptism is not just a show for people to see but in reality what Jesus promised that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire So, Lord, equip us, guide us, lead us. And may we be wholeheartedly turning toward you, not in pretense, but in honesty and in reality.